welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, good evening, everyone. It is May the 31st, 2017, and I sit in my home office tonight doing the radio show live. I've got the sun just beaming through the window. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'm excited tonight to interview Marcus Cox from book number eight. So let me give you a little insight to Marcus's background, and then we will welcome him and really, really excited to chat to him for the next hour. So Marcus deems himself as a pretty normal guy, but unfortunately he was in a horrendous car accident that left him in a coma and he states that he crossed over to the other side and the journey through a long recovery and also a deep depression turned out to be one of the greatest blessings that has led him on a journey to understand what life is really about how to connect to his higher self, and also, in the meantime, how he can help others do the same. Marcus is just truly, he, he has done so many things, I, I'm in awe. He has studied under yoga masters and gurus in Sri Lanka, in India. He has discovered some ancient consciousness expanding methods, including deep meditation, lucid dreaming, and I just love that Marcus, he, he states that he's been a witness to a tsunami of coincidences where everything falls in line or what many people would call miracles. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to him about that. So please help me welcome Marcus to the show. Marcus, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Well, I, ha- I have to. I have to start with a disclaimer to say I know you live in California, but you are a you are a fellow Canadian by birth, isn't that right? That's right, eh? That's right, eh? So we had to get that <laughs> in to start because Canada, yay! <laughs> so Marcus, I am I'm really intrigued with your story. I wanted to tell you that I really enjoyed reading your chapter for many reasons. Firstly, because I was a medical case manager for 20 plus years, and I worked with a lot of individuals who had catastrophic injuries and were left in a coma. And I I witnessed many, many different things from both children and adults. So I want to delve into that. But before I do, could you just share with the listeners what inspired you or maybe intrigued you to write your chapter for the Change Book series and join our global community? Well, that's another uh, piece of synergy. It was quite remarkable. I was, uh, I've been wanting to write a book most of my life about all these experiences, and I uh, had a chance to meet uh, a world-renowned author in Las Vegas at a seminar, uh, Steve Alton, who's a New York Times bestseller, and I went to that uh, seminar, and I actually had lunch with him, and he became my, to become my writing coach. And when I got back, I got a call from uh, Jim Lutz with Jim Britt 
on the line. And Jim, Jim Lutz and I used to work together. I know him quite well. Uh, for several years, actually, we did coaching calls together. And he talked about this uh, change series and an uh, option for me to get in book eight. And I was like, well, that's perfect timing because my other book was way out. And this is like really, really neat. So I, I jumped on that. And I only had, I don't think, I only had like three, four days to do that my chapter. But it, uh, it just popped out of me. Uh, which is really cool. That's like from the inner sky stuff that I like. That's what you want to do when you're writing. It just popped right out. And then uh, after I read it, I was like, oh, it sounded so good. And uh, and here we are. I mean, gosh, it's been such a uh, wonderful journey and all the other change authors. And, and how many countries is it in now? It's 34 or something? We, I, I do believe we're close to finishing and completing book 14, and we're in 26 countries now, Marcus. Wow, that's beautiful. And they're in multiple languages, right? Absolutely. And I just, like you said, I love the energy and the synergy of how many people we have and and just the goodness that we're spreading across the globe. I think I think this vision has just imploded to more than what Jim and Jim ever anticipated it to be. Now, you talked about... Um, your accident left you in a coma. And what year did you have your car accident, Marcus? That was in 1968. And oh, wow. At, at the tail end of our uh, summer vacation at our lake cottage at uh, Pigeon Lake, Alberta. And this is like the last day of summer vacation. And I was passenger in uh, my, my neighbor's car, and he was showing off uh, on a gravel road. Uh, in a 1964 Pontiac Laurentian, and it was swirling around and everything, and um, he lost control. And I remember hanging on for dear life, didn't have a seatbelt on, which actually turned out to be better because the, the roof was pushed through the through the uh, passenger seat, and I went through the windshield. And I, they said I went 100 feet in the air, uh, landed on my feet somehow, like a cat or whatever, but I drove my pelvic in and split my pelvic, and then rolled and broke all my ribs and punctured the lung, and, and then I hit a rock and went into a coma. And that was that was uh, <laughs> that was not something I chose to do, that's for sure. And I was on the other side uh, in a tunnel of light, which I had read about and heard about before, but I really didn't know much about it. But it was like like in being in a heaven world or something, and and there were these beings there. Uh, light beings, and I'm not sure if they're angels or extraterrestrials or what, but I remember being there and, and this feeling of of connectedness. I mean, like I was home. I mean, it was just so exquisite. I almost got a tear in my eye talking about it. It's so beautiful, uh, and that that was that's how I discovered that uh, that other world, if you will, the inner world, and then. <clears throat> I, that went on for, like, well, 10 days. I was in the coma, and I was in and out of that light realm with these beings. And then I was in the hospital room uh, looking down on my body. It was on life support. I was in ICU. And I had uh, lung machines and other machines and all these tubes coming out of me. And my parents and my brother and his wife were standing around me with this sad look. And it was it was pretty sad. I mean, it looked like I was going to die. Uh, and then I was in the coma for 10 days. And when I came out, um, it, it was so painful. I just, it was, I was really groggy, and my positive, happy-go-lucky attitude was completely gone. 
and when the nurse said, would you like something for the pain, uh, I said, give me a kill needle. And that's really bizarre coming out of my uh, out of me, my mouth, you know, because I was a really positive kid. And uh, I was a mess, just, you know, just very confused. I guess that happens with a concussion. And I, I kind of remembered the the light realm being being in, on the other side with the tunnel of light and all that, but <clears throat> not enough. So I was caught in the drama of the, of the hospital and the pain, and that was the beginning of, a, of a, the dark side of my life, if you will. And I went on a big whiplash downhill from there. Well, I'm 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 I feel very heartfelt listening to you share your story, Marcus, because I I spent half of my career with individuals like yourself and and all of the descriptions are almost identical to what you just so eloquently described and really I think people underestimate a concussion because the concussion is a traumatic brain injury so hearing you say that you came back as a different person is is the norm for us who have gone to school and and worked with individuals who've had such unfortunate experiences. So how and when did you decide to look at maybe some different modalities of treatment and try and get back your strength and, and get yourself out of the, out of depression? Cause I'm sure our listeners would, would really love to hear, you know, where did you have to dig and, and how did you go about doing that to pull yourself out and just lead such an amazing life since then, Marcus? Well, it didn't, it didn't start, uh, quickly, I, I was like a year, and I was I got addicted to the pain medications. And when I got out of the hospital, I was strung out on drugs and uh, very, very confused. And I ended up, I guess, I guess opiate drugs are addicting, and I got addicted to uh, the painkillers and all that. And then I ended up uh, on heroin, uh, which is just very much unlike me, obviously, back then. And I ended up le- leaving home on a motorcycle right after my 16th birthday, high on heroin, and uh, made it, managed to make it through a snowstorm um, through the Rogers Pass on the way to Vancouver. And then by the time I got away from all that and managed to survive that trip, uh, there was like a whole new world. Uh, I met a whole different group of people. And that summer was nicknamed the Summer of Love in Vancouver, and there was a lot of people getting into yoga and, um, and psychedelics. And that was how I uh, went from being a recreational drug user to a, uh, a conscious, conscious, uh, becoming consciously conscious, if you will. I discovered a, uh, some books. I read a lot of uh, books on astral travel and uh, lucid dreaming and different gurus. I read Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, um, one of my heroes was... Uh, yeah, Paramahansa Yogananda. So that was a wonderful book. And then uh, I went through several other books, different teachers. Uh, when I was the, the following year after my wreck, I met my first teacher in person. That was, uh, I mentioned that in my chapter. Uh, that was Paul Twitchell. He was at that time the, the Mahanta, which is the, the main guru of, of uh, Ekankar, which is the ancient science of soul travel. And my brother had been turning me on to that. And I've been trying trying to do leave my body through the third eye and everything as it taught in those books, and I couldn't do it. You know, I just uh, struggled. It wasn't like what I what I'd done on on LSD before. I, I got pretty adept at uh, falling into the light. If you if you 
you've ever read any of that, which they call samadhi in, in uh, Sanskrit terms. And uh, I'll get into this a little later about Dr. Joe Dispenza, how he's teaching workshops on how to duplicate that experience, which is really beautiful. Um, so I, I continued to study that, and then uh, I actually had a, there was a little window, there was one spot left to meet with him, uh, and I had a job that I got fired from uh, after one, two days, I think it was, because I was such a space cadet. Um, and I got the check, and it was enough to pay for that consultation with, with uh, Paul Twitchell. And I met him in the hotel, and I sat across from him, and I had been really, really in love with God and, and feeling divine presence everywhere and just just so feeling connected, just wonderful. And, and we didn't say much. And then I finally said, uh, we're sitting across from each other, I finally said, I've been trying to do soul travel as you described it in your books, and I couldn't do that. And then he very sweetly said, uh, well, well, try it now. And he told me what to do. And then we just sat there for a minute or a couple of minutes. And all of a sudden, I was in the corner of the room. And I could see all around me. I could see my body in the chair and all that. And at the exact split second that happened, he said, there you are. And it was so, you could feel the love in his voice. And it's so amazing. And it's, I mean, the doubter in me goes, how does he know? You know, how does, how does, how did he know? And it's like, wow. So I, went, now I wanted to follow him, let him be my guru, right? And I said I wanted to, you know, to go wherever you are and I'll do whatever you say, uh, be a, a cello or a devotee. And he said, no, uh, you should go back to school because I quit in grade 10, right? So you always listen to what the guru says, so I went back to school. And then uh, I wasn't too much longer later. Uh, I'm in at the airport with a friend of mine, and we're looking at uh, an airplane, uh, a jet, Actually, it was, I think it was an airplane back then. Uh, and there's this guy getting off the plane, and it looks like a swami. He's in robes and stuff. looks like uh, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. But his name was Shyam Acharya. And I look out the window, and he's way out there, and he's walking towards us, and, and he waves. And I don't know who he's waving at. I wave back at him. And then by the time he gets up in the on-ramp, on uh, it doesn't look like there's anyone to meet him. So my friend and I introduce ourselves because we're both uh, uh, yogi, practicing yoga, and this looks like a yogi. So we, uh, we introduce ourselves, and he's Shama, Swamiji Shamacharya, and he says, uh, we ask him uh, what brought you to Vancouver, and he says, God told me to catch this plane. <laughs> and we, we ended up building an, a worldwide ashram around him. Uh, we, got, we rented a place in, on Main Street in Vancouver there and started teaching yoga. He was at, actually had come from Rishikesh, and was with the Transcendental Meditation uh, Movement, and he was uh, very adept at that. And we started doing those classes every day, teaching Hatha Yoga, Ashtanga, and all of a sudden people started showing up. And then this one guy from Montreal, uh, he owned CKGM, Jeff Sterling, um, and you can Google, I Googled him the other day, he's since passed, but... He was, Jeff was really cool, and he was also very wealthy. So he he started uh, doing the world uh, world ashram and, and putting him on the radio. So that was extremely wonderful. I mean, Shyam is just a gem. And my when my father came out and visited me, and he started getting into yoga too with Shyam at the ashram. That was in grade 11. 
then in grade 12, uh, I actually had Swami come into my English class, and uh, my English teacher was so cool. And then we started to uh, get other people in, in the high school going to uh, yoga classes. And then I picked up a book at my friend's house. Uh, the gentleman I was with when Swamiji, when Shyam got off the plane, um, and it was by my guru, Master Subramania. He's called Master Subramania. If you Google it now, he's Swami Subramania. He's actually in Wikipedia now, and he uh, had written this book, and I picked up that book. It's a book 334 out of limited printing of 500. It's got a picture of him uh, inside the cover. And I opened it up, and I, I told Craig, I said, Craig, this is my guru. And I read that book. It's called Cognizant Ability, which is almost exactly um, what I'm so passionate about now. It's turning the mind back on itself, which Vichar Atma, which Ramana Maharshi uh, taught and kind of uh, pioneered. And this book here, Cognizant Ability, is, talks about the five states of mind. Explained, you know, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the sub of the subconscious, the sub superconscious, and the superconscious. And they correlate to the Ekankar uh, teachings. Also, several others in Sanskrit: it's the physical plane, the astral plane, the causal plane, the supercausal, and such kind. In, in Sanskrit, it's Pind, Und, Brahman, Parbhavan, such kind. And it. It's, um, all the similarities here, there's no accidents. I mean, it's, it's beautifully uh, interconnected. And uh, the ancient uh, teachings of the East have been doing this for centuries. My, my guru was from a chain of gurus going back many centuries. And my desire to go to India and uh, you know, find my guru and all that became fulfilled when I went, uh, got invited to a Christmas party by Swami Subramunya, went down there, my beat-up old van that I was living in, and uh, it made it. And then uh, he invited me to the desert monastery in Nevada. So I went there, and then he wanted me to uh, come join him in India because they were doing an Indian Odyssey, and it cost 4500 bucks. And I think I had like 50 bucks in the bank. <laughs> I had to borrow money to get back to Edmonton. Uh, but I, I said, okay, and I had no doubt. I mean, I was so in tune and in love with what was happening. It was like a dream come true. So I, I said, okay, and they said, I want, I want you to meet me in Edmonton. So I get up, I, I guess I jump out and go out there. and It was like 10 below zero going through Idaho or whatever it was. <clears throat> and uh, my van wouldn't even start. <laughs> I had, uh, this guy shows up out of nowhere and says, oh, you need, a, you need a, a, a jump? And it wasn't it wasn't the battery it was the just frozen solid, so he towed me he towed me for like four blocks. And finally, it started, and uh, I was lucky I didn't freeze to death. But anyway, uh, kept going through and uh, thanked him so much and got up to uh, although it went up through the uh, Montana and through the border across the border there, made it all the way to Calgary like three in the morning it was and I had no more money, and I just drove up drove up to a pump and just sat there. And I walked walked into the uh, gas station, and this guy swears and says, damn, you know. And, and I said, what's, what's wrong? He says, my, my compression gauge just broke. He was working on a car, and I had bought a compression gauge 
before I left Vancouver, and it was in my van. So I said, I'll give you a compression gauge if you fill me up. He said, perfect. <laughs> what are the odds on that, that I would have that compression gauge? You know, it's something not something you buy. So I, I, we swapped, and, and I, I drove back to Edmonton, no problem, pulled into the driveway, and uh, I just had total belief, and, and I was going to go to India. wasn't thinking about uh, all the problems and or why I couldn't make it and where I was so broke. I didn't think about that. I just knew it was happening. <clears throat> Uh, the next day, I got a check in the mail from that car accident I was in when I was 15 for 4350 bucks. <laughs> and uh, one of the priests and the guru showed up at University of Alberta like the next day, and, and I uh, gave him the 4500 bucks. I borrowed the 150 from my mom. And then uh, my van that wouldn't start, I had a friend who was going to buy it, wanted to buy it. Uh, for 400 bucks, you know, so I'd have some spending money and stuff. And he, uh, it went from, I think it was 15 below zero, with 30 below wind chill, and my van was frozen again, to 32 above. And one of those Chinooks they get. And my, my friend calls me up, he says, hey, you think your van will start? I said, sure, come on over. Started right up, boom. And he drove off, gave me 400 bucks, and drove off with a big smile on his face. And I caught the plane the next day to Kauai, which is where our main monastery was. And the guru was, met the guru there. And uh, this lady who's uh, an expert at uh, reading past lives, she happened to be there. And I happened to have lunch at the same time she was at the table. And she looked at me and she said, oh, you're going back to India with the guru, huh? He says, you owe, you've got some payback coming because I... You know, I, she, she's telling me that I was a conqueror uh, in, in a previous life and all that. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and then uh, a whole bunch of other things happened. And we uh, we took the next flight. We went to Japan. And we went to actually, I think, it was 32 countries. And when um, we got to Sri Lanka, and I was with the guru there, because uh, that's where the main ashram was, he... Just a whole bunch of things happened. And we were traveling in the, in the trains and things, and he was telling me what was going to happen next, and sure enough, it would happen. And then uh, when I was initiated, I was in a town called uh, Jaffna in northern Sri Lanka. There was like 50,000 people there with no electricity, live taggers all over the place. And we, had a, we lived in a hut. There was a little hut where he had been ordained, and I, took my, uh, I became a monk at that point. Uh, which is very unusual. I had quite a few friends that tried to be, tried to join that monastic order, and they they never gotten, they never made it. So it was a very rare, special, auspicious uh, event. And then the thing, all the things that happened after that, I'm putting in my up- upcoming book. Like, India is an amazing spot, just amazing. Uh, like mir- miracles everywhere you go. <laughs> it depends if you're tuned in, but. Uh, Marcus, I'm I'm just sitting here in awe listening to your story, but I I have to just tell you a couple of things. I'm I'm taken back with just the calmness that you have in expressing all of the experiences you have, and I know that comes from just years and years of different modalities that you've tried. And I have to congratulate you because I I had a lot of clients 
who, like you, was, you know, given the pain meds because that's always the go-to. But number one, you didn't let it define you and you found your way out of your box. And that's what I, I love about the thread of, of your chapter and the title, Going Beyond the Box, because you certainly did whatever you needed to do to get back to who you really knew you were, which I just think is, is miraculous. And I, there's a, a paragraph in your book that I, uh, in the chapter that I'd like to read from book eight, if I could just share this with the listeners. And uh, the other thing I want to say to you is I just love that you speak your truth and you don't worry what anybody thinks. And I just think if anybody gets anything from our interview together tonight, I think that's one of the biggest struggles that most people have. So let's chat about that in a minute. But let me read this one chapter that I love. So this is Marcus's chapter called Going Beyond the Box in book number eight. And this is the paragraph that kind of jumped off the page for me. The box that limits our lives. So what is this box or barrier that prevents us from being inspired or in spirit? It is our ego. And Webster's Dictionary describes the ego as the opinion you have of yourself. But it is a lot deeper than that. The opinion you have is also an accumulation of opinions formed by other people who think you should act, look, and be a certain way. These opinions have been accumulating since you learned your name and started thinking about who and what you are, not to mention that nagging question, why? This box of opinion of opinion knowledge keeps you from feeling connected with the divine and living the life deserve one no doubt or fear are you ready to go beyond the box once and for all and then you had a quote from uh swami subram i'm probably not doing justice to his name so i'll have you correct me after i give the quote here marcus his quote is opinionated knowledge is only barrier to the super conscious so his name is Swami Subra Subraniya, am I saying that correctly? It's Subramunya. Subra is uh, teacher. Um, Muni, no, excuse me. Subra is light. Muni is teacher, and Ya is from. So he's teacher from the light, which he really was. He wrote that oh, book wow. I told you about cognizant ability. He wrote that aphorisms uh, that the monks all wrote down. And then he wrote the explanations to the aphorisms two years later, and he never looked back at what he originally wrote. I mean, he was, and he's, he's in Wikipedia. If you look up Swami Subramunya, he won, he won a very uh, prestigious award from the United Nations that Nelson Mandela uh, and some other great, great people have won. Uh, he did some amazing work. It was an honor to be with him. Well, and you made such a great... Um effort in your chapter as well about saying, you know, when we grew up, I mean, I was born in the 60s, so I'm just a, I'm just a tad younger than you, probably not much. And we didn't have the Tony Robbins, the Wayne Dyers, the Oprahs, and you talk about that. But you still were able to find what helped, what worked, what was speaking to you. And even though you led a different path, I don't think that it was 
different. I think you just chose to find different modalities than what was speaking to you. And you talk about being, you know, normal. I think we all live our normal within our birthright and how we're raised. And I think we grow with the times and our experiences. So I love that you kind of thread that through your chapter. And I love that you're open and honest to talk about being on the other side, because I know from working with my clients, a lot of them were really apprehensive because they thought people were going to think they're ready to be checked into the psychiatric ward. And I'm saying that with utmost respect because they were just so afraid to verbally expe- uh, express what they visualize. So your story for me is not, it's not new. It's not any different from some of the uh, clients that I had to work with that were amazing, but I love what you've taken from it, Marcus, and what you've done with your life. So what's a day in the life of Marcus now? Are you writing? Are you coaching? Are you speaking? Give us a little overview of what you've got on your plate these days. I'm kind of doing all of the above. <laughs> uh, there's, like I, I mentioned somewhere that, you know, you don't have to, oh, it's on my blog, excuse me, on goingbeyondthebox.com. It's uh like people don't have to go through all that stuff that I went through. You didn't have to renounce the world and become a monk and blow your mind on LSD and all that. I did find an interesting uh, quote today from Steve Jobs, and it turns out he was taking LSD at the same time I was back in 71. And uh, here's, I'm going to quote this from him because everybody knows Steve Jobs. He said, taking LSD was a profound experience, one of the most important things in my life. LSD shows you that there's another side to the coin that you can't remember when it wears off, but you know it. It reinforced my sense of what was important, creating great things instead of making money, putting things back into the stream of history and of human consciousness as much as I could. And I, I have a little bit of a, a passion, a lot of passion right now, for uh, what's going on out there. I know that all that psychedelic research that was going on at Harvard that I got involved with was uh, Dr. Leary Alpert, Dr. Uh, Alpert, who became Ramdas, and Dr. Menzner, and they wrote the first book called The Psychedelic Experience based on the uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, which I one of the first books I got after my coma was get that Tibetan Book of the Dead to figure out what happened, what's, what's that other world like. And they mapped it to the Western uh, technology. Like uh, uh, anybody that's taken biology can, can relate to the, the states, five, those five states that I talked about, the uh, physical, astral, causal, and... Um, then they came out with the other one, the Psychedelic Prayers, which is the book that I got my hands on. And a guide from California, my brother, came back with, and he had uh, been trained by Timothy Leary. And I learned from him how to get completely quiet, like the recreational, uh, taking acid for recreational is, uh, can, can result in a pretty bad trip. So it's called set and setting. You have to do it in just the right setting. And they've... Uh, Unfortunately, all that research went went by the wayside when the revolution happened and Leary got put in jail and all that stuff. But there was some really valuable information there, uh, of which I'm a, I'm a living proof because I got off those other drugs because uh, of LSD. It turns out now, 2002, uh, John Hopkins University has resurrected that research, and they're doing the same thing. I mean, Leary's group, they they ran an experiment in the Concord prison. I think that's down here in Concord, California. And there were like 
hardcore criminal mur murderers. They were completely reformed with just a couple of sessions. And uh, John Hopkins is doing the same thing. And then, and they're they're mapping it. They've got uh, Institute. There, in fact, I was, there was one just happened here in, in Oakland, California, uh, last month in April. It's called the Psychedelic Science. It was a it was pre-conference. There was workshops on psilocybin research and therapy, holotropic uh, breathwork, and they've got literally uh, hundreds of thousands of people that have been journeying down to. Uh, I think it's Peru, and taking this uh, sacred substance called ayahuasca, which is kind of like what they call DMT. But anyway, what it does is it allows you to see those inner realms, those uh, inner dimensions, and you don't have to be a, a professional yogi or a renunciate yogi to to do that. I mean, it's like for, but it's in a clinical clinical setting, and you have to get all these permissions and stuff because they're category one drugs they're not legal but now that's coming out and especially uh john hopkins they've made some ma major breakthroughs uh a lot of diseases and including cancer i mean they've really it's amazing what you can do with the mind um but as long as you've got that box uh, and you're still thinking subject object thinking uh, you, you can't you can't feel the energy flows and that's what uh that's what really makes a difference in your life uh, my wife and I were big fans of Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he has a meditation called Blessing the Energy Chakras. And it's it's almost identical to what's in Leary's book on the psychedelic prayers in some respects because uh, Leary takes you through the chakras <clears throat> and uh, feeling the energy and not thinking about it. In fact, uh, the thoughts kind of hang in the air, and I, I think I mentioned that somewhere that uh, when I was in the monastery, uh, we were very astute. We meditated like sometimes six hours a day, and if you if you talk trivial trivia, and or sarcasm and stuff like that, it just hung in the air. I mean, you could see it. You just look at it and think, well, that was really dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and the more and more you do that, uh, the better you get at becoming a self -observ self observer, observing yourself, and that's uh, what. The, what is now called metacognition. You don't have to be in a monastery to, to uh, engage in this process. It's all over YouTube now. Uh, you can Google Joe Dispenza, uh, Wikipedia, metacognition. It's, it's, it's what Ramana, Ramana Maharshi called turning the mind back on itself, vicharatma. Now it's uh, metacognition. So you Google that, and then you go to YouTube, and, and uh, uh, there's so much beautiful stuff out there. It's exquisite. I mean, it's like... Uh, you don't have to go to India anymore. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't need a guru. In fact, I'm looking at two beautiful books right here by Dr. Joe Dispenza. One's called The Placebo, and the other one's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. I highly recommend both these books. And Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is going beyond the box. And he literally puts it in layman terms um, how it works. And he has these workshops, and they're, they're tracing it. I mean, they're doing... Uh, this uh, gentleman from the uh, Heart Math Institute, uh, he comes to Dr. Joe's advanced workshops, and they measure the brainwave patterns, and you can see it. Uh, I've got, I got the book right here in front of me. Let's see here. There's a, uh, yeah, here, there. This is in, uh, you are the placebo? The Kundalini Ecstasy Experience. 
and this is uh, from one of the, one of the people in his advanced workshop, and they've got he's actually got a graphic of it that they took off the EEG machine, and you can see that uh, I mean it's like go, going into the highest brainwave patterns, like going into gamma. Uh, and here's a little thing I highlighted because of the functions of the frontal lobe is to make thoughts real. What she's experiencing in theta with her eyes closed is very real to her. You could say that Bonnie's inner experience was like a very lucid, livid, vivid, lucid dream. And uh, they've been doing this now for several years. They've been mapping this. And my wife and I do this meditation every morning. And we, we just uh, bless the energy centers. And when you bless, you, you put your awareness in there. And then you expand into the quantum field. And you bring the quantum field into your center, centers. And you can feel it. I mean, whoa, it's amazing. And uh, the Sahasra Chakra, which is the top of your head, uh, it's like the, the gateway, if you will, into the inner dimensions. And you can feel uh, the quantum feel. I mean, you can feel the energy coming down in your body. And my wife, <laughs> we get up sometimes, we're just grinning from ear to ear. It's just amazing how that feels. You can feel your, your body vibrating and, and that you're uplifting your genes. You're, he calls it uh, upregulating. Upregulating, yeah. Uh, so if you go on, on uh, YouTube and search for Joe Dispanza, he's got some really magnificent, and his workshops, there was a one I was watching on the treadmill this morning. It's one out of Munich, Germany. Uh, wow, really, really good stuff. And there's so many well, people it's getting Well, it's stuff. like you said, right? You, you don't even have to leave your house now because the world is at your fingertips, and, and we literally do have so much great information at our fingertips. Yes. And we could do calls like this. Absolutely. And it leads me to my next question. So I know your wife and yourself, you talk about it in your book. You're doing uh, networking and education through webinars and Google Hangouts and podcasts and video. And I know that your passion and dedication is is so reflective just in everything you've said during the interview. So tell me what you mean in your uh, chapter when you talk about, you say, join us for some excellent reality hacking as we help you tap into your higher self and live a super conscious life. So what, what would one uh, experience if they were joining you through a webinar versus uh, a one-on-one -on -one session? Give us an overview of what that experience would be like. Well, the the uh, in fact, I just started. Uh, I've been listening to Jim Britt's "The Power of Letting Go," and I I just love that course. It's very much in tune with everything else, and that would be one of the things that uh, I will have feature on my website. You can you can you can download that um, from the website, and that I'm going to be doing uh, courses on that, and and talking with Jim Britt. I, Jim and I talk fairly fairly frequently. And that course is phenomenal. It's like helping you go beyond the box on steroids. It's really, 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 really beautifully done. And then the other works that I talk about, which is uh, Joe Dispanza, and I'm doing videos. I'm going to do some more videos here soon. I'm the, kind of a video geek. And I'm going to uh, do a lot, lot more work on my goingbeyondthebox.com and help people do that. The, the process that Joe Dispenza is doing with the advanced workshops and the meditation, if you start doing those meditations, and I will, I will be doing uh, 
talks on that because we practice that, and you can actually feel it, feel the difference, and you can see the difference in your life. I mean, uh, we had uh, and people, people are people are chasing money a lot of the time. You know, like they they want to, they think success is money. Uh, success to me is being unreasonably happy for no particular reason. You know, just joy, and it's not. It's not tied to things. It's tied to you, your feeling, and that's uh, that's what I want to want to help the world uh, feel, and and live it and walk the talk, and I'll be sharing that as much as possible. Well, you and I are on the same parallel, my friend, because success to me is the same thing. I think just waking up in the morning and opening our eyes. I I start my day with my gratitude journal and have my own little prayers and things that I like to do. And I'm happy that you said that success to you is joy because I feel very strongly and I feel sad that the world gets caught up in materialism and things and Lots of people that I know and have worked with have lots of money. And I think the aha moment, and you talk about this in your chapter, they realize that it's not the money and the things that they're really longing for, but the journey to get there they think is enjoyable. And happiness doesn't come from dollar bills. It it comes from a place inside. And what's interesting to me, Marcus, is just the shift in how many people are becoming minimalists and how elderly people are transitioning to these tiny homes and people have lived beyond their means for a very long time. So when we go back and look at our ancestors and how happy they were, they hardly had anything. And and just the value of communication and chatting, um, it scares me because I see in the young generation today with the technology, and I think technology has a place, don't get me wrong, but I think it's really putting out the the fire in people to have that art of communication and really having a meaningful intellectual conversation. And I just wanted you to kind of weigh in on that and tell me your thoughts because, I mean, I'm in my 50s now and it's still my favorite thing to do. I still love to hold a book. I still love to talk face-to-face, whether it's on Skype or having someone in my living room. But I think the young kids have become very technology-dependent. What's your, what's your feelings and observations on that? Well, it keeps, it keeps you locked into the uh, thinking mind. All that technology and you know, just back and forth, and there's, there's no feeling involved. And when there's, you just get an onslaught of news, especially the news. That was something I found very interesting about Jim Bridges. He's never watched the news, never bought a newspaper. And uh, people are so wired on the news and stuff. It's like the like a horror show <laughs> sometimes. And then when I was growing up, they, were all, they kept showing the Cuban Missile Crisis over and over and over. We're all going to die and stuff like that. So if you you learn to discipline yourself so not to not to focus on any of that. You know, focus on, on feeling. How, how does it feel? You know, you, you see all that horrible, horrifying stuff on news. How does that feel? Think about a, a baby being born or, or a puppy or our crazy cat. She lays upside down like she's flying. Uh, stuff that brings joy, you know. And uh, 
a lot of that electronic stuff is just one thing leads to another. I mean, it's just thought after thought after thought. It's like a whirlwind of external thinking, and that's the box. And then you don't really have insight, real real insight, because you're too busy. Your mind's just too busy. It's, and, and it also produces stress, you know, when you're when you're thinking all the time and you're in fear fear trance. Uh, you know, how am I going to pay my my visa bill? And I mean, just all these fear thoughts. Uh, they actually produce the hormones of stress, cortisol and uh, adrenaline, uh, which is imagined. I mean, you're, you wake up three in the morning and you're worrying about stuff. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I mean, that really stresses you out. Stress is, is not fun. I mean, I, I had a mild heart attack uh, at the end of my when I went back in the matrix, and uh, before I got back into what's happening now. And, uh, that was, you know, it's a wake-up call, and. Uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to helping other people uh, get out of the matrix and really connect. Connecting is just so wonderful. It's, just, it's almost like falling in love everywhere with every everybody you meet. I know on Facebook I'm I'm, I'm meeting some really call it the law of attraction or whatever, but I'm friending people that have a lot of mutual friends, and we have so much in common. Sometimes it's mind-boggling. Uh, I got a friend except this morning. She was actually in the change book I'm in. And I, I don't know how I missed her, but that was really cool. Who well, who uh, was that, Marcus? Um, you know, I can't remember right now. It was like she just I just saw her before I came up here, so Well, I'm I'm sitting here writing notes as you're talking and I'm writing down stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol. I was and, and ready to come back and, and say to you, I agree. And so here we are just so in sync with our thoughts and what we both think. I have written down five co-authors that I feel you need to connect with in the change book series. And I just, I want to reiterate, and I try and do this every week because I have the honor and privilege of interviewing all of the co-authors live and and it's my goal to get to all of them and I've got a bit of catching up to do but that's okay there's so many of us that have synergy and I guess because I'm in the middle as the concierge just listening to how you're speaking the work that you're doing with your wife and how you're choosing to offer the education so when we're done our interview tonight I'm going to do a post in the change book uh, on the change book Facebook page because uh, there's a few co-authors that you definitely uh, should reach out and connect and that was going to be uh, one of my questions to you is have you reached out to any of the co-authors to do any kind of joint venture or alliance to date have you done anything with any of the co-authors I, I have not I've done I've reached out and I've uh, had, had discussions with some of them but we haven't actually done any collaboration yet I definitely plan on doing that well I'm I'm thrilled to hear that because there's a lot of amazing authors just in California alone and I will make a post to um, help you know who is in California to get you going and I wanted to know how often you have uh, spoke to Jim Britt or Jim Lutz uh, I speak to Jim Lutz almost daily because uh, we go we go back a long way and uh, Jim Britt, we're mostly texting. He, uh, I, I just did a blog post 
on his power of letting go. It's on my mountainnetworker.com. And he he got right back to me and gave me a, a better version of the video that he, that he has that uh, introduces that program. And he, it was on Sunday morning. I was like I was like 6:30 in the morning. I was working on that, and he was right there. <laughs> That's amazing. Jim Jim Britt is an early bird, and I know that because I am an early bird, and I have also. It can be 9 a.m. in Canada, which is 6 p.m. Pacific time, and I can send him a text, and I will concur with you. He gets right back to you because. You know what? When you get up early, I'm trying to get myself to get back up at 5 a.m. because the work that I can get done from 5 till 7 is just, it's, it's unbelievable because there's no interruptions. And I wanted to bring up a method that I get asked a lot about that Jim Britt taught me, and it's called the 15-minute method. And Jim has taught me to take my list. And chunk it into 15-minute time segments. So I will set a 15-minute alarm on my cell phone. Now, my cell phone is turned, uh, the volume is off, and it's on do not disturb. And I, and I literally turn it over so I don't see the screen if messages come up, etc. And what I do is I start my task. And where the magic is, is nine times out of ten, I get the task done in the 15 minutes. But if I don't, it's Okay. I'm just to put it aside if it's not a priority for the day or the week or an element of a project, and you move on. And once Jim got me onto this, I landed up getting so much more done, Marcus. It was just unbelievable. So it's all these little sim- simple strategies and tips that really help us become magical in, in the work that we get done. And it makes you feel good at the end of the day when you get your daily list done that you've kind of set out for yourself. What strategies do you use? Have you learned any other tips or tricks from Jim Brett or Jim Luce? Uh, <clears throat> I've been really focusing on. I'm, I'm writing a book. I guess you know, I guess you know that. I've been focusing on writing that book. So, and then and then the work I'm doing on Facebook. Uh, I'm actually d- uh, doing a, a course with my network marketing team on Facebook and uh, sharing how to how to how to connect you know, on Facebook. And uh, like for example, uh, we've got people that are uh, in the thousands of friends, you know. And, and whereas before they only had like 20, and and uh, they're starting to witness. Um, like when you're connecting with like-minded people, uh, they're they see, seem to resonate with what you do and what you say, and uh, you can build a. And like I'm in network marketing, and I find that the people that um, you know, rather than sell to people. It's more like sharing. It is sharing, and there's a whole protocol and uh, etiquette. And I've been learning that and, and uh, practicing that and working with my my team on that. And uh, it's it's almost magic. <laughs> it's really it's fun. My uh, and and Jim Lutz uh, is is familiar with it too. He he likes it too. And we've met some I've met some people that he knows, and it's it's more than coincidence. I mean. Some of the people that, that I've connected with are that he goes back 15, 20 years with, and they're very entrepreneurial, which is nice. And those are the kind of people I like to work with. So that's that's a wonderful thing. So that's one of the big things I do, uh, and I do it within a certain time time frame, in the, every morning and uh, then in the evening. 
Well, Marcus, I I have really enjoyed uh, interviewing you and getting to know you a little bit, and I just think the work that you're doing is so valuable, and I, I really want to thank you and commend you for being so transparent about your car accident and the struggles that you have and just really being authentic to who you are, and you've just literally come through such a beautiful journey that you're now sharing with the globe. And I just think that's so commendable. And I wish you and your wife all the best in all of the teaching that you're doing through different methods in person and online. And I really would like to keep in touch with you. I absolutely would like to keep in touch with you too. I really and again, that. I just, I, I want to thank you for hanging out with me tonight because I know it's dinner time now for you and it's almost 8 o'clock here in Canada. And I know you're always going to be a Canadian at heart. I know that. That's right, eh? That's right, eh? So without further ado, thanks again, Marcus. And you take care and keep shining your light in all that you do. All right. Namaste. Take care. Namaste. Just such a beautiful interview with Marcus, and I just I just feel so much more elated uh, talking to him and hearing about all the work that he's done and traveling to all the different countries and the healing and just the education that he's received and that he's now sharing with people from all over the globe. So I want to thank you for tuning in to the Changebook Radio Show this evening, and we had uh, Marcus Cox from Book 8 with us, and next week, I'm going to have Sandy Mitchell on the show from Texas, and I'm really excited to, to interview her, so that will be a fun interview, as they all are. So I just encourage you to reach out to Jim Britt and to Jim Lutz, Jim Lutz if you haven't. Phone call, text message, email, whatever you're more comfortable This is a platform that they have created for us, and you are not a chapter in a book. You are part of a human movement that has evolved into a global community, and I love what all of you are doing to educate and inspire. So this is Deb Crow with the Changebook Radio Show. Have a great week, and I'll be back with you next Wednesday with another co-author from the Changebook series. Take care, everyone.